Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Good morning. It's so good to have you all here. Uh, If you're here in person or online, my name's John Adams, one of the pastors here, and we get the privilege as we come this Sunday of Advent to continue in our series, Christ is Coming, out of the book of Isaiah. And last week we looked at Isaiah 11 with Pastor Tim. Today we're going to be diving into uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Before we do, I just want to say thanks be to God. You know what? God can meet with people even in cornhole. Did you know that? Uh, Thank you, Art Roundtree. He organized our cornhole uh, tournament for men over the Vickery just a few weeks ago. And uh, one guy texted me about the men's cornhole event. He brought a friend who was a self-described atheist. And he said when he came to cornhole, he didn't really know what to expect, but he knew about Christians. But when he came, he was pretty surprised because he felt like these guys actually had fun. And surprise, surprise, right? And they were, uh, he called them cool and down to earth. He said they weren't trying to market him about God or the church, and that was good for him. And he said he just so enjoyed the time. He was looking forward to another time to join you again, Art, and the men at Cornhole. So great job, man. Way to go. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, the, the member who brought this friend said this, and I want to quote because I love his words. He said this. He said, I was so proud to show off the vine. This evening together underlined the reality that the Christian life is not having to be perfect nor looking down on others who aren't perfect. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad Christ accepts us, we who are imperfect, with his perfect care and love? Yes? Are you glad? Yes. Yes, Yes, and I am too. So um, as we think about this today, we're going to be looking at this passage from Isaiah um, about how God, the, the light of Jesus' love, changes the hearts of those you'd least expect. Maybe like this guy's friend. We're praying that God would would actually minister to his heart. So let's look at our passage today. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. And if you would do this with me, will you stand together with me? And we're doing this to honor God and, uh, and, and his word. And we want God's word, I want God's word to do something in your heart today that it would change you and make you to come to know the living God. This is Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse number 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them 
has light shown. This is God's holy word. We exalt our God and honor his word together. Amen. You may be seated. So let's look at a couple ways that the light of Christ's love changes the hearts of those you least expect. And the first way is this. His light changes hearts filled with gloom. Look at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. You see, the more we are disconnected from God, the more our hearts will be filled with gloom. Did you know that? And the more you're connected with him, the more that he will help you. And he will, even through your sadness, bring you through that time to a place of joy. You see, the people of this region, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is prophesying about the coming Christ. And that's what this passage is all about. Look at verses 6 and 7. We're going to look at that in a few weeks about that very familiar verses. But the people that this, is, this passage is talking about is northern Israel, or the region called Galilee around the Sea of Galilee, if you look on a map. And over and over again, God said, just follow me, believe me, and get rid of your idols, and I will bless you. But over and over again, this people, by the way, just like us, forgot God and were distracted and turned to other gods and worshipped them. Over him, the exclusive great God. And as a result, sadness and gloom marked the northern Israelites. And they faced actually centuries of disrespect and domination. You know, these, these people, and these Jewish people in northern Israel, felt dominated by their nations. They were Jewish in their heritage. And they especially were sad that the Gentiles, you know, they had the Jewish people in those days had a word for Gentiles. It was not nice. It was called goyim. It literally, it, it went with, it was meant unclean dogs. They didn't have a happy thought about Gentiles, non-Jews. And, and these people had this incredible history in northern Israel. Of, of what God had done in his great works. I mean, think about the history of this region. Um, as you think about it, God uh, gave Jacob, you remember Jacob, you had Abraham and then Isaac and then his son Jacob. And Jacob had how many sons? Do you remember? Twelve sons, that's right. He had twelve sons and they became the twelve tribes of Israel when Jacob was renamed Israel. And two of his sons were named Zebulun and Naphtali. And they actually were tribes. And their Zebulun and Naphtali, we see this in Joshua 19, after Joshua came and conquered the land of Israel after 430 years of slavery, he came and he gave to Zebulun and Naphtali that region called Galilee around the sea of Galilee. And the Jewish people in this region were really um, impacted by the culture around them. 
Then they fell into much idol worship. We see that if you look at the history of reading kings and chronicles. You see these northern kings were constantly turning to these pagan gods. And as a result, God gave this region, Galilee, into the hands of idol worshipers, nations, um, non-Jews. And we see this that Assyria came, first of all, and dominated the area in 722 B.C., and then Babylon in 586 B.C. These nations uh, were, um, I mean, it was awful because for the Jewish people, they forced them both into exile, and when they were in exile, they forced them into marrying pagans themselves, and they intermarried them. They, they, They bred them together and brought them back to the nation, hoping that they would no longer serve and worship the living God, and they did not. Many of them did not. To add fuel to the fire, in Jesus' day, the Romans built 10 cities right next to Galilee. It's called the Decapolis. And you can see that region today. And so the people, the purists, the Jews in the south, who had the temple David built, remember? And they had education, they had more wealth. Um, they, they, they looked down at the, the people of the north who, who were worshiping many gods and who were... Um, who were not devoted to their looking forward to the Messiah. But here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of God's grace is that it appears in the most unlikely places with people who we would think are the least worthy to receive it. Did you know that? And that includes you and me. You see, what Jesus does here, he does something pretty shocking He actually comes back from to this region and he makes his hometown in Galilee in the city of Capernaum. And there Jesus would establish his home base rather than Jerusalem, which was pretty surprising because if you used only human means, you would definitely not establish it in the north, in the uneducated, pagan-oriented north with the Jews that had been tainted by many false religions, right? But there, uh, there Jesus comes, and he comes to an unexpected place, to an unexpected people, because he's not trying to use human strategies. He's going to say, this is my work. I am going to do something so glorious that no human strategy or ability will give, get the glory. I alone am God and will receive the glory. And he wants to remind them, as he wants to remind you and me today, it's about my work, not yours. Can you just praise God together with me in just your heart for a second and say, thank you, God, for the work you've done for me? Isn't it so beautiful that God would include us? Many of us who are here today are non-Jews. We are those goyim those ethnic nations that God gets gathered together and has caused and shown us his saving love for us. And this should should make our hearts actually sing and rejoice. But back to our passage 
Verse 1 again says that the second half of it, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, and the nations. You know, out of the 33 recorded miracles Jesus did, 25 of them he did in this region of Galilee. These miracles were signposts pointing to himself and saying as he preached the word and claimed to be the Son of God and God the Son, these miracles were authenticating the reality that he was the Messiah, the true Christ. And yet this region, we know Capernaum, Bethsaida, we know that Nazareth, his hometown, all rejected him. Even though he did great miracles in their midst. And he preached clearly the word of God. They rejected him. But the prophecy of Isaiah says, in the latter time. This phrase means not just at the first coming, but actually at the second coming of Christ. And in that season between them, the first and second coming, Christ would establish his rule and reign in this territory. And, and what is this way of the sea that it says? And how did Jesus make it glorious, right? It's, well, here's, here's what it is. There was, um, there was a major highway that um, <clears throat> from the Middle East, the Assyrians, which is modern-day Iraq, and the Babylonians, which is modern-day Iran, would travel down a highway and come down the northern part, the coastland, of Israel and would make their trek all the way to Africa, to Egypt. And in those days, any military or country that controlled that highway would control the ancient world. You see what, what Isaiah is saying here? He's making a spiritual conclusion. He is saying the Christ who will come in the latter day will control this highway and his glorious reign will control the nations. Jesus will reign and rule over all the ethnies. And he came to make disciples of every nation, tongue and tribe. Isn't that good news? God himself will do this work. This is the work of Christ. And so, we should celebrate how Jesus has changed us that we're a part of this in his rule and reign. And he's changed our hearts, really, from gloom to gladness. You know, um, <clears throat> my dad, who's uh, up here and with Pete and shared at the candle of love, he's almost 89 years old. And uh, it's just amazing what God has done in his life and in our family Back in the day when uh, he was in uh, real estate, he had a pretty thriving business. And he was doing very well in that world. And actually, he was ascending. I mean, they were, actually wrote articles about him. And, you know, he was, he was dominating in that world. And yet in those days, I would say, my dad would say this, and certainly our whole family would be, when we had the kind of the most amount of wealth, we were the saddest. You know why? Christ was not ruling and reigning in our family. And our relationships were all messed up. 
The evil one had sold our family a lie and made false promises that if we bow down or be a success or be great or look good or accomplish a lot, that we will truly be happy. But in those days, honestly, we had a lot of anguish and gloom. But then my parents, they, their hearts turned to Jesus. And I want to tell you, it was like a 180 on that day. And I can tell you that when it was when I was 12 years old, our family changed. Our relationships were new. We got involved in Jesus and the church culture, and we, we began to grow in faith in knowing the Messiah alone is our only hope, and He is the only one who can take hearts that are filled with anguish and change them to hearts of gladness. Praise be to God. I'm so grateful for our Lord and our King. So we've seen here the light of Jesus' love changes the hearts of those you least expect. His light changes hearts filled with gloom, but secondly, his light shines on people in the darkness. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You know, I still have a clock by my bed. I know that's kind of old school, right? And during the daytime, you can hardly see that light that comes out of that clock. But at night, I've even dimmed that puppy down all the way. I mean, that thing is bright and shining. It's, you know, I often wake up and I'm looking right, it's right here. And I'm looking right here and it's like, whoa, the light is, and I have to like turn it away or turn it over. You see, when light comes into dark places, it illuminates things. Think about Jesus. He is the great light this Isaiah is talking about. He is the Christ. And he who came into this dark region. And when these people in that day were distracted by things, and when we in our life are distracted by other things other than Jesus, honestly, the light is not so bright. And the darkness is not so dark. But when we humble ourselves and we believe that Jesus alone is the great light of the world, his light is dazzling. And the darkness becomes even more clear and darker. And guys, ladies, we're living in a culture and a world of struggle with darkness sexually and family relationships and generationally and between races, actually people groups. I mean, all around us, we're in a place where America has thought, if I just live the American dream, I'll be happy, but it's a sham. Only in Christ. Only as you look to Christ 
who is the great light of the world, can he bring you the light of his love and the hope that we looked at last week and the love that we're looking at at this candle this week and the joy of next week and then in two weeks, the peace that Christ alone can bring to your life. He is the Lord. Praise be to his name. You see, the Galilean people of this northern region walked in darkness. In verse 2, there's two different words for darkness. The first word, and you can find this in your own study in blueletterbible.org, is the darkness, it means, this word darkness means darkness of spiritual blindness or unbelief. Again, remember the people who lived here in this region were far from the temple in the south and they struggled to do good works of Judaism and, and like keep the Old Testament laws. And uh, ChristianHeadlines.com tells us that Galilee was not geographically far from Jerusalem. It was considered spiritually and politically far too. It was not just geographically far from Jerusalem. It was considered spiritually and politically far too. Galilee was the most pagan of the Jewish provinces. You see, Christ lived in a land of darkness. And this second word for darkness in verse 2 is the same word that David wrote about in the shepherd psalm, Psalm 23. Do you know it? Psalm 23, 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley, here's the word for darkness, of shadow of death. You see, it's a place covered by the death and darkness. We know that many people living in Galilee worship false gods, and these false gods promised great things and only delivered death and darkness. Let me ask you, are you trusting or believing anything that promises great things and only delivers death and darkness? That's a lot what the culture promises. But Jesus alone is the light of the world, John chapter 8. He made his gospel headquarters and his home in this place, in the most death-like, darkest places. He brings light and life. How did he do it? He did it in ways that surprise us, ways we would not do it. Jesus, the great light, chose and trained his 12 disciples or apostles in this irreligious pagan region. He entrusted these 12 with the proclamation of the gospel and told them that every person who believes in him, not just Jews, but all the nations who trust in him will become and fulfill the promise he made in Matthew 5.14, where he says this. He says, not only am I the great light, he says, you disciples, and you who believe in me here at the vine, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus, the great light, proclaims and demonstrates his love from Capernaum of Galilee. He came to this dejected area, and he himself would become the most rejected by them, these people that he calls, he describes his very home. And yet, 
he raised up just a handful of people, 12 ragamuffin disciples who struggled with trusting Jesus during his earthly life and, and changed. These were the 12 that changed the world. You would not expect this. Remember uh, Acts 4.13, after Peter preaches his Pentecost sermon? What do the religious Southerners, the Jewish intellect, the intelligentsia say about these people? 4.13 says, they were astounded that these uneducated and ordinary men had been with Jesus. You don't have to be great. You don't have to be religious. Are you submitting your life to the Jesus, the great light? That's all it takes. You see, Jesus doesn't come to the religious or the pure, he comes to the broken and the hurting. And those who realize their sin and know their need for him. One of our values at our church is to grow in Christ and to share his love with others. And I love Pete and Dad and what's going on with their relationship growing in discipleship and with our students and our D groups and all that's going on in our church with men and women who are pouring their life in the gospel and others, and we'd love to connect you in those things if you're so interested. And a good way, a reminder for you to think about those who are outside of Christ's love, his unbelievers who are in your life, is just to think about pray, care, share. Three simple words, prayer, care, share. That's it. That's my whole evangelism strategy. You know, I want to tell you about a conversation I've had with Raj. His wife, Ritu, um, live across the street from Lizanne and I. They have two beautiful children. Um, Tani, who's six years old, and Kian, their baby boy. They invited me over to their housewarming, which was actually like a... I didn't realize it was like a Hindu service. And I've been praying. I've been thinking, strategy for Rajmarit. Prayer, care, share. And, and so uh, just to tell you a couple things of what God was doing with, with our family, with Raj and Ritu and their family. And the uh, last week I was talking with Raj for a few moments. I just saw him outside the street and I, I crossed over and said, just start talking with him. And he said, John, you know, uh, I really appreciate you. And, you know, you, you're kind of almost like a father to me. I go, what? I mean, I've talked to him a few times. We're not, we're not doing a lot or have done a lot with these guys. I'd like to say we have. But God is doing stuff. Because we are praying and, and asking God to bring his light and life into Raj and Ritu's life. You know, a few months ago, Lizanne and I were talking with Raj, and he goes, he goes to, to me and to Lizanne, he says, you know what? 
Before you came over, I was filled with sadness, but now I'm happy. What? How is this happening? This is God. I mean, this doesn't happen with every person we meet with, but this is simple, simply saying, God, we need you. We don't know how to reach anyone really well. We don't know how to reach certainly Hindu people and other nations. But we know how to do prayer, care, share, pray for those people. And when God, I see them outside, this, here's the big strategy. Okay, can, can I hold on a second? Pray for them. And when you see them outside, go cross over the street and say hi to them and talk with them. That's it. Be intentional about it. Ask God to give you a heart to pray and to care and to share his life and light with those around you and take the moment to cross the street. You see, God can change hearts from gloom to gladness. He is the light people need and we need in the midst of our darkness. We are, it's unexpected those who believe in him, even the most unworthy that he has chosen. And remember this, remember this church, we all are the most unworthy. And see if you think otherwise. You're, you're believing a lie. But yet God has poured out his love and worthiness to us who are unworthy. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a God. All those other things this Christmas season you're distracted by. Those things that you've tried to take joy in or hope that have failed you. They, and they will fail you. But there is one who will never fail you. Jesus. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the surprising, unexpected places and people you come to, especially to us. And God, I pray today that you would change our hearts to trust you more, to believe that you are God and you are the Lord and that we, you have come and you are coming again soon. Hallelujah, we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.